Avion. Let's go. Welcome to another episode of the Uru Labs podcast from Bengaluru. Ever complain how bad our cities are, how bad your commute is? You'll get to hear from people who are working to solve these problems in their own way. This is your weekly soapbox for urban sustainability. I am Satya Sankaran. I am in conversation today with Naresh Narsimhan. who apart from owning a well established architecture firm is well known for his passion around urban rejuvenation and bengaluru history as well church street in central bengaluru used to be a run down street just like any other in our cities and he transformed it into a walkable cobblestone street which attracts many people today to come there just because it is nice to be around he has more recently taken up transforming the large storm water drains running through the city they are called the rajakalways in bengaluru they carry anything but storm water into places you can sit and walk along without fainting over the stench okay these two are examples that have a lot of learnings for us they are just marky projects that he has done but he's got a lot more experience around many other things so let me let me just dive in yeah. can our cities really transform into livable spaces is the primary question i want to understand before that you might also have to define for us what livability is but the larger question which i've seen you answer nicely before is what makes a city let's start from there there's only one thing that makes a city it's people take the really the outer space view not the aerial view of the problem the issue really is that we are used to comparative modes of cities using longitude we always talk about the west the middle east the east the far east etc etc and all these classifications don't make any sense because what would you call japan is it west or east or what would you call china or what would you call australia for that matter instead if you look at the planet and learning from other cities should be from the cities which are on the same latitude not longitude right so if you look at very few people will know for instance that let's assume you are sitting in bangalore and you drill a hole right beneath your feet where on the other side of the earth will it come out the pacific ocean maybe not really you're it's a good guess because people don't realize pacific ocean is almost 50% of the planet 45% of the planet is the pacific ocean so i'm going to leave this as a quiz question for all your readers i'm not going to answer it okay but from an urban development perspective what i have started looking at it is it's not about global north it's not about global south it's not about these kind of what i call sociological and uh, humanities based debates if you want practical ideas on how to make cities livable in their context indians like little bit disorder we don't want amsterdam you know what i mean it's you it's not mm-hmm. and also we should not aspire to that we should look at cities which are on the same latitude and understand how they have solved various issues and understand how to implement that so what i have noticed now is more from first i thought it was an urban design problem now i understand it is a social psychology issue what do the people really want and that's the only thing that makes a city the people anywhere in the world you will find say for instance if you take a comparison with say istanbul as a comparable huh. city to bangalore huh. the people of istanbul do not throw trash randomly it's a culture it's a city culture they simply don't 
the entire city is probably bigger than bangalore and there's no trash anywhere mm. so i am starting to understand that it's not just about well meaning uh, solid waste management schemes it's not about disposal ideas or recycling ideas or incineration ideas it's got nothing to do with all that. fundamentally if you take the example say i'm jumping the gun here but i hope you'll forgive me say the k100 drain project can i go to that no let's jump into it let's yeah yeah let's jump into that let's talk about k100 because that's one of the biggest things that we are doing now what right. does it teach us yeah let's so, go it's about like what 11 kilometers long it's probably the oldest stormwater drain in bangalore the original one mm-hmm. i found the Mm-hmm. I found it on a map from 1791. We've now, mm-hmm. you know, and it was never any. So you have to understand the meta water history of the Bangalore region. What happens is that how did this net? Who decided on what basis the network of all these overflowing lakes and in between Raja Kalaways and marsh system? Oh. It's a completely the whole thing is human made. I'm not saying it's man made. Somebody made it much before Kempera. Oh. At least uh, eight. in centuries before that somebody started it mm. why was it done that then you would understand bangalore's specific reason for existence it sits on top of a ridge broadly sloping in two directions and in the third direction mm. it goes and joins the first direction after some time it has it is the largest city in the world without any natural geographical boundaries or it is also the largest city in the world not next to a prominent geographical feature there is no river there is no mountain there is no sea there is no archipelago there is no nothing there is no reason for it to exist if you look at it historically because most human settlements were near a source of water it's the, probably the only city in the world one of the few cities in the world in this latitude not next to a direct source of water so what did they do just two issues one is did you need water for drinking cooking eating they can't live without water so the reason why bangalore comes to exist is that it is at the crossing of two trade routes ancient trade uh-huh. routes north to south as well as mangalore to chennai you know, that across the yeah route. straight across mm-hmm. so at that time because it crossed it's like samarkand so it's a uh, it's a crossing of two trade routes it's always a settlement will form around that because there is a reason for a lot of trades to exist a lot of uh, businesses to start and so on that's how it probably started the other thing is because it's in the middle of nowhere and that those days as ancient days some 15 centuries ago there were it was a state of war anybody could come and fight with you anybody could do raid you you could do anything so how do you protect a city like that one is you can build a fort but then you are limited to the fort but how much fort are you going to build so how do you protect the land around it what they did was they created these three uh, they connected found out all the shallow points where water was moving slowly when it rained dammed everything with a pond with an overflow system and the place in between each lake to the other lake was a marsh so an invading army cannot bring wheeled vehicles or cannon into it you understand It's a very clever idea. You cannot bring only human, and only in four locations around the city. 
and all the Kempegarda towers you see are the high point lookout towers. Originally, they were the lookout towers to see if anybody is coming to invade us. And only through those four protected entry points could you approach Bangalore City. What started as a Rajakalve ended with a defense mechanism. So then you understand how it has evolved over time and that Bangalore hasn't seen a war, I don't know whether that's good or bad, for a very long time. I think uh, 280 years or something. The last war was when? 1791. That's really long ago. Uh-huh. It never had an invasion or a war after that. So the Rajakalve then morphs to become the as the pressure on urbanity increases, city comes closer and closer to this marsh. The edges of it get filled up. And then it becomes a canal. But Rajakalve itself is not very old. It was part of a marsh system. The marsh is gone now. Only the and then the lakes are gone now. And the lakes were these sponges. So we started looking at this problem from two, three things. How do you make a resilient piece of infrastructure? How do you recreate these urban sponges which used to exist? How do you also make sure that no nothing else other than rainwater flows in? All solid waste, sewage, silt, everything's got to go. So it became like a multi-layer. It took us one or one year, more than a year, just to figure out what is going on in just 11 kilometers. The rain goes from Shantala silks in Majestic up to Bellandur Tank. Mm, As mm. a crow flies, it's only 11 kilometers. Once you've understood the history of it, how it came to be, mm. then the solution starts mm. coming. What has happened is over mm. time, it has degraded into the, what I would call, armpit of the city. You know, that's the place where all the draws, from a water canal, it has become a kachada mori, like a giant garbage pit. So people of the population mm. have tried to solve it by building very high concrete walls. And putting metal fences on top of it. I will send you pictures of it. Uh, and uh, people are throwing stuff on top of that. And uh, the sewage network around that area is completely broke. So, uh, 130 uh, million liters of sewage was flowing in it two years ago. Today, my God. it's used to less than five. It's about four MLD is going still. That is also going to get fixed now. Sooner or later. 130 yeah. million liters of raw, untreated sewage was flowing in that place. Less than two years ago. So it's completely possible mm. to change an urban system by doing three things. One, bring the public into public infrastructure. We held workshops all along the plain. The people living on the edge of the plain keeps changing. It cuts across seven major roads. Each chunk, Kalasi Palya is full of metal workers, a lot of very poor people. Mm. And, you know, people like that. Then it comes to Sudan Nagar, which is full of migrants, a lot of locals, migrants, small textile units, all kinds of things like that. Then it goes through Double Road, which is a institutional stretch, which is all KSRTC, BMTC, all these kind of things. Then it goes through Banargata Road, which again becomes a, becomes a slum area, which is redeveloped now. Then, curiously, it goes through an upper-class area like Koramangala, uh, Srinivaglu tank by backside. And then eventually it turns around there and goes and joins Bellandur tank. It fly, falls into Bellandur. So each segment required different stuff. It took, took quite some time. And also to talk to everybody there and understand how do we create a culture of pride and ownership on that place. Mm. Not treat it like a garbage dump. One other larger team which was brought into the project quite early in the process was that of decentralizing city infrastructure okay, and also going from a grey infrastructure model 
to agree for such a model, right? So, so what we did there was held workshops, spoke to everybody on the script, we tried to tell them that, and we took the psychological route of reducing the compound, the barrier wall to three feet with this nice steel railing on top of it and removing the fence altogether and telling everybody, look, hmm. we're going to fix this stuff. You you are the guardian. You cannot allow anyone to throw anything. We also fixed the road mm. on the side of the drain with white top concrete, with flower beds, very good lighting. And the whole place has now undergone, a, strangely enough, which was predicted long ago by a very important person. The real estate value there has doubled and sometimes even tripled. The joke in my office is that they're going to, the day a Starbucks opens with Canal View, there we are done. Or at least third wave coffee. <laughs> It's a, uh, it has also created Bangalore's first urban park, new park in many, many years. Uh, it's almost one acre, almost close to three quarter acre, one acre of a beautiful park where all the bus stand people now are waiting there to catch the bus instead of inside the bus stand. But why did you feel it important to convert <laughs> this into such kind of a rec- recreational space? Because you said the Rajakalove was anyway man-made, the lakes are man-made. Uh, we don't have to preserve that. Uh, you can just kind of convert it into a drain and let it go. Please don't keep calling it that. That word drain only is a negative connotation. It drain carries to it. Mm. This is a canal. This is like, if you go to Amsterdam, everybody is taking selfies and posting it. I want that to happen in Bangalore. Why cannot it become a public resource? It, it's a green corridor, right? You can walk inside it for almost eight kilometers, right from Double Road to Belandu. If you go by car, no, it will take you longer. You go by vehicle. I know. It's an NMT. It works at an NMT level because of the lighting and the improved road surface. Women's safety has gone up dramatically. You can see people walking even late at night. You know, those that area used to be full of drunks and louts and badly lit and you know all kinds of shady criminal activities going on. Not all gone. So it has had like a ripple effect on the whole region. Nobody has touched that area for 20-30 years. Seven and 9,000 lorry loads of silt is gone. It is the only canal when it now rains in Bangalore, a heavy rainfall event, it never floods anymore. Because the entire canal is now available for rainwater. What are the governance challenges in doing something like that? One is the people challenges. The social behavior you said. We, yeah. I still I still have people just uh, at the end of the day, their shops by the wayside just open the yeah. drain cover and then just put everything into the stormwater drain and then just close it and go away. All the refuse is getting piled. There is a behavioral aspect you said. This also goes back to your, the Church Street experiment you said. Does design drive behavior or behavior drives design? Or what is this? Uh, how does this influence each other? One of, the, one of the strategies used in the K-100 comes from the learnings from the Church Street project. Two years ago, I think, less than two years ago, I went one day morning at 10.30 to Church Street for some errand. I had to buy something. At the corner of Church Street near uh, near the Empire Hotel, I saw three women. When we do these projects, we make friends with everybody. Kora Karmika, street vendor. If they don't support you, your project will not work. At 10.30 in the morning, all three of them are sitting there and you know, enjoying one pan or something and chatting with each other. 
So I asked them uh, in Kannada, of course, that Yenama, Ingidira and all that, they all said Namskara Sar and all that. I said, Yen Kelsa Ilwa, clean madok bedwa. So they are in charge of sweeping the street and making sure every morning mm. kept clean. She said, Illa sir, Yaro Ili Kacharane Akodila. Kelsa Agoitu. Nice. There's nobody throwing trash there because they see it's a nice space. It's like how you behave when you go to an airport. That is a public space. Why are you not throwing trash inside an airport? You'll find the garbage bin and put it inside. Church Street also has what I think now 11 or 12 garbage bins. Whatever garbage, and all these people have to do in the morning is empty that into their uh, cart and just bring it. Finish. Their work is over by 10 o'clock. Which is good, no? So we, we said that this, no, is it the, is. this is the lesson. Bring the public into public infrastructure and they will police it for you. You don't need a marshal on top of that. You will not, you will hesitate yourself to uh, dirty the place. And if you do it, some guy will shout at you, saying, Malagaki, put it inside. It's a, so we said that how can we bring this to a 10 kilometer long stretch of the most polluted, the most, the poorest of the poor live on that edge of that. And how do you bring that information, mm. which is like a, what do you call it? So street is not frequent, is frequented by all classes of people. But a lot of people who have disposable income also go there for fun. Right? That's not the case in the K-100 So The social behavior aspect, you learn a lesson from here and then go and talk to everybody there. I mean, to give you, instead of giving you theories, anecdotally, now near Sudam Nagar, there is one lady. So all along the edge of the drain, with breaks, we put flower beds. So that plants would grow and fall into the drain and bougainvillea will bloom. This woman has gone and pulled out everything. Whatever the ornamental stuff that they have okay, and she's planted an entire uh -huh. garden with growing tomatoes, ginger, uh -huh. chili, vegetable there, and she's put a little rope around it to, to protect it. And she sits opposite that and watches her. If anybody throws trash or any kachara into the drain, she shout at them. She's become a guardian, and I told her very good. Please grow kitchen garden. It's a perfect idea. It's like. But, I mean, it's a useful garden also, and it looks nice. It's green. These kind of behavioral changes, you cannot predict doing design. But if you enable it, saying that design, good design can actually create good behavior. And good behavior actually creates an urban asset. They've almost recovered what? Something like about 200 acres of land, which was based. That drain mm -hmm. occupies that much area in the city. Physical area. And now... Within about, by December, maximum, I think, you can walk almost like the first four kilometers will throw it open, then four more kilometers a little later. The four, other four kilometers has walkways on both sides. One other thing, in, uh, one game changer in uh, K-100, which I forgot to mention, I mentioned it earlier, hmm. is I started asking the question, all the sewage that is, was flowing in the drain is now flowing into a pipe. And there is so much sewage that the pipe diameter has reached 2.2 meters, which is like almost like 7 feet. Dia pipe is required. Why do we have this logic of taking this sewage through these giant pipes all to the edge of the city and creating one giant sewage treatment plant? If it fails, 
the whole ecosystem downstream is further destroyed. So I came up with this idea saying that decentralized sewage, every ward should have its own sewage treatment plant. No solid or liquid waste can leave a ward unless it's recycled. It has to be fixed there. So instead of making four giant sewage treatment plants, which cost hundreds of crores, to spend 10-15 crores per ward, put a sewage treatment plant in every ward. So the government said, all right, we are willing to talk. You, you do it first. So in Talasipalyam, in the heart of Talasipalyam, in about one, half an acre of land, slightly more than half an acre of government land, the BNP land, which was used for storing used vehicles, we reclaimed that. And we have put a 5 MLD plant there. By January this year, I think by early next year, Bangalore will have its first river back to life. We'll create a, every day we will release 5 million liters of treated water from upstream. The entire old city sewage will not leave the old city, it will leave it as water, fresh water. But one foot of water will be flowing in the drain every day. Bangalore has the opportunity to create about 450 kilometers of waterfront. The first 10, 8 to 10 kilometers will be ready very soon. Why was it called K100, by the way? What is the 100 in it? The classification system, Bangalore has many waterways. So there are primary uh -huh. waterways that are called K something. Then there are secondary waterways. Uh -huh. Tertiary connecting to the secondary. So it's got, we have the entire data of the entire system now. And Bangalore, only if we take out the silt from the drain, take out the solid waste from the drain, and take out the sewage from the drain, we will never have a flooding problem. It's only but that's a, complex to do. Uh, it's and it's also social change, social behavioral change. People have to accept it as an asset. There are two, three challenges in that I want to bring to you, right? One is, you said we can put up uh, ward level, literally BBMP have to force it in because Kalasi Palaya might accept, but some of the other areas will say, I don't want a sewage treatment plant or a waste waste segregation plant. I already got that objection. So we have a solution to that. Also. So what is a secret solution? No, no, no. What have, it's already under implementation. What happened in K100? K100 has 14 secondary drains joining it. The watershed of K100 is about 32 square kilometers. It's 23 wards and four MLA constituencies. So it's a political minefield. So in one particular area, which I will, let us say, on still on upstream of the drain, I won't say exactly where, there is a huge secondary drain joining the K100 itself. And that drain, the entire top of the drain is a big slum, full of fairly unsavory characters. It's like a slummy mm. area. Not huts, but it's like a very uh, low-grade construction kind of thing and it's a nobody wants to go to that area unless you live there or you it's a bit dangerous okay it's not exactly kosher so many of the other drains we vacated the people on the drain removed the sewage connected disconnected all the sewage coming into the secondary and in this particular stretch which is producing about two to four mld a day so that is the main source of pollution coming into 2 MLD, 2 million liters a day. We could not solve the problem. So what to do? You cannot put a sewage treatment plant. You cannot stop them allowing sewage into the drain. They have to accept that that drain, which was a stormwater drain, has now become a sewage conduit forever. So how do you solve the problem? What did you right. do? So I started asking the question, are sewage treatment plants the only way to solve the problem? We assume that there is sewage. There has to be a sewage treatment plant. But a sewage treatment plant is a complex technical installation which requires daily uh -huh. testing, 
adjusting the chemical dosage on a daily basis by a skilled operator and also somebody who knows how to troubleshoot because things can go wrong some new pollutant can enter the train and the whole chemical mix has to change so is there a way to learn from what does nature do the question came mm-hmm. maybe the answer is found in nature when you don't have an answer to a technical problem look at how nature does it and the answer was staring at us right in the face which was wetlands with hmm. plants with root treatment uh, systems so we went and actually studied bangalore's biggest wetland it doesn't exist properly anymore the belandur lake system we find that for 1 mld of sewage not effluent there are two separate things effluent is chemicals hmm. of sewage hmm. human waste and uh, organic waste pollution in water that it requires roughly an acre of wetland to treat a million liters of sewage on a daily basis uh-huh. with fully planted wetland okay so we did some research and found out that other people have been thinking about it and a company in israel called ayala aqua have come up with this incredible system where they they build constructed wetlands other than natural wetlands and they have managed to reduce a form factor to 1 is to 10 If you needed an acre of land, you need 4,000 square feet to treat one MND using a patented technology system. So the paradigm shift, we said, let us move from an STP culture, which oh. is very difficult in government because it requires annual contracts. It also requires very skilled people to operate. Out of Bangalore's Correct. entire U.S. treatment capacity of about 750, 800 MND, less than half is working properly. even today bangalore is releasing more than uh-huh. 1000 to 1300 mld of sewage into the interland every day that's the scale of the problem so we move, we are moving from an stp logic to a pts which is plants treating sewage and the only maintenance cost in a pts system is gardening because they get uh-huh. so much nutrient the plant grows like crazy you keep trimming it uh-huh. keep and that's all okay and it lasts almost forever at least about 15 20 years without any major overhaul required so in two three locations along the k100 now you will find the pts system going to be installed where the problem is intractable we cannot divert the sewage because of social issues you will find a garden inside the drain which treats sewage and the other side will come out i think better than secondary quality i won't say it's not drinkable but it's not portable but it's usable nothing will happen if you put your foot into it it creates public spaces which brings me back to this uh, whole idea of uh, what does public space like this mean to the city let's take church street first uh, for church street for example i never used to go there earlier it is just another street it had no identity of its own Uh, i could meet anywhere i didn't have to meet on church street but once this transformation happened uh, of course in the initial period after it was done as well it was supposed to be a walking only street or whatever right i mean or uh, something like that that's not mm-hmm. what was than, it supposed to be there are more than 50 people who live on the street and there are two corporate mm-hmm. offices on the street which have parking garages so you cannot just mm-hmm. say you cannot i mean eventually it may happen when it becomes a this thing but you 
take the other example take take commercial street hmm. commercial street hmm. has no garages parking space inside any of the buildings there and all the buildings there are shops except the police station correct there also they don't the people did not want a fully pedestrian street they want the convenience of a car to drop them at the the culture still has not come into india fully in church street we tried an experiment where weekends we tried to do it right and it lasted for some time that didn't last for very long but now people have got used to the fact that because it's not a thoroughfare you don't get that much vehicular traffic going through it anymore yeah so people are automatically walking right now it needed that inducement now i think if you and i go there today in the evenings it's buzzing with activities there is there are people there who are busking by themselves there's a lot of activity and it is so crowded now anywhere that you don't feel like driving in there so it has become a pedestrian oriented street where the priority is mm. pedestrian gets over the way so the people only people who come in there are delivery vehicles and also people who live on the place and who need to get to their apartment or wherever they have to go you can't stop that nobody can nobody can prevent that i don't think anybody tried to even prevent that this street we should have done it but the shopkeepers didn't have it so no, but they are saying it is not an eating it is not an eating place it is a buying place there's far more eateries in hotels on church street whereas on commercial street there are a lot of people who want to buy i listen to people very very carefully okay that is the key to this otherwise it will get objection you know and people will stop the project this is the third experiment mm. is can we close a street from 6 pm to midnight if it is food oriented mm. so now in another one month you will see the next project of ours coming up now it's the visheshwarapuram food street tindibidi mm. 40 shops curiously all vegetarian for some reason which open in the evening from 6 to midnight so now the entire street has got a super makeover and you will see it opening to the public in about a month or two from now officially and that is the next experiment no traffic is allowed there between 6 pm to midnight every day the third level of uh, pedestrianization initiatives but you've been to other countries most of these walking streets are also shopping streets it's not that they are not why is it that we are okay with uh, shopping in a walking only street in other countries of course there are eateries and other things it morphs over time into something else that you want it to be like you said design can influence behavior and over time it might change you don't have to impose it now but don't you think uh, commercial street has the potential is what is the objection of people to saying places like commercial streets are today competing against malls and other places right and in fact they are competing against online nobody even need to go to commercial i haven't been there in 5 years now right i don't need to go there we have our own micro so what is aren't this aren't people seeing uh, vi- vibrant public spaces which are safe from uh, traffic how do you see this yes and no it's it, it, it depends on the context and the neighborhood and the use case the same thing was tried mm. out in adi bazaar there is a massive public objection mm. they don't like it mm. So, mm. again and again i want to reemphasize these three lessons you have to bring mm. the public into public infrastructure right in the beginning of the project two you cannot take Absolutely. a template you have to take a latitude template you cannot take a longitude template and apply it just like that on the indian system it won't work you cannot do it three you have to sort of also bring in design as a not just a architectural or urban design you have to bring in social design what is intended behavior mm. 
to do that why will it influence the physical desire like for instance everybody in the bbmp said i must be crazy to say cut the wall down to one of the the drain wall was 7 feet high it has come down to 3 and the behavior wow. has completely changed and also what happened was there were about 20 bridges in terrible condition across the drain one of the hard mm. things place making tools we use as designers is create very nice bridges look like a place for people to stand and look and take selfie you know so now there are in kalasipalya there are beautiful stone bridges i'll send you pictures people started protecting that bridge immediately you know they instantly they will not they will understand that it's an asset that you can go hang out there and you know you can talk to people it's like a new meeting spot in the middle of the city so you have to know how to use these devices and tools to influence good quality social behavior and you should also not uh, lament about the fact that we will never be amsterdam we will be bangalore bengaluru in a bengaluru way we must have our own mm. sense of pride and importance not like something else there should say we want it like bangalore bangalore, bangalore. yeah Yeah. that's a wonderful way to think about it but i i want to bring the i want to understand the governance pact uh, part of it right whether it was the church street itself or the k100 how uh, capacitated is the government to pull off these kind of things at scale across the city and how is our infrastructure you, i heard you say many times to me personally i think it is useful for you to reiterate is that 80% of what you see on a street is below the street or you said 90 i don't know what is we don't see that we see the nice looking cobblestone but we don't see the hard work that goes behind doing these things right and how does the government view this you know they don't i think i don't know if half the I government even knows what's underneath it might be from the british era no yeah yeah and various other eras but the government has now understood now now slowly for instance in the bd initiative program we understood that the more important part is exactly getting what is under only if you get what is under the road right in the road never be cut again you don't need to chop chop it even if there is a problem there it will be limited to a very small area the road need not be retouched the surface need not be touched for a very long time so now they have understood it and it's a paradigm shift problem no we are used to a the bbmp is used to an annuity culture in maintenance contracts <laughs> So they, what they want to do is spend, say, fifty lakhs on a road, and spend fifty lakhs next mm. year, and fifty lakhs the year after. What we are trying to say is, you spend four or five crores at one time. You don't have to do anything for the next fifteen years, or except minor repairs. So it's a cultural shift. It's not that easy to uh, influence a system like that. That easy. You said earlier uh, when you were talking about the social behavior, and said Bengaluru people need not be. what we see in the other longitudes like you say right they are their own they have behave in a certain way and we behave in a certain way of course the negative part of it is we throw trash wherever we feel like why why do you think that happens in order for us to have a better livable city don't you think people need to start taking pride and change the way they look at the commons why do we why, why is it okay for us to violate road rules or something is that is that what our identity is is that Uh, an identity of indian culture do we do we say this is what the culture is how do you think about it i already gave you the example of an airport or a railway station where people behave properly in a public space they don't throw trash everywhere that's not true 
I feel that it is a nationwide, if you want to call it, a culture-wide problem of the broken windows problem. You know, the broken mm -hmm. windows issue. That if you see a broken window, you think that the place is unused and you throw trash into it. You break some more windows. I think that the quality... See, Indian architecture, I am an architect first, right? I build buildings. And today I can say that in the last five years, I have built buildings in India, which on a scale of one to ten compared to a longitudinal Western example, is a 9.5. I can build buildings in India to that quality if I have a, that budget also. Budget is important. And in terms of office interiors and residential interiors, the quality of our indoor spaces, which the Indians are very proud of, is now 11 or a 12 on 10. We are better than what I have seen outside India, anywhere, in any so-called developed country. But the quality of infrastructure in India, due to a variety of reasons, ranging from right from independence, I don't want to, that's a separate lecture, why it happened, why the quality of public infrastructure is simply terrible. And it is crazy. It's a minus 10 on, on, on a scale of 10. Right? So just to bring it to 1 will be the task of this generation. And to take it to 10 on a world-class scale will take probably post uh, after petrol is over, maybe after 2050 or something. We still are not able to leapfrog over what the West, the West had two strange inst in, uh, incidences which created a spur for good quality urban development, the two world wars, which India never went to on its own territory. A lot of it was destroyed and it was remade. It was remade correctly. We never had the chance. But I'm not saying we, need a, we should have had a war, but that was a major trigger. And two populations there are on the decline. Availability mm. of resources to do more and more for lesser, lesser number of people is also a factor. We are the reverse. So that's why I'm saying you cannot take best practices and apply them in India and think they will work. What you need in India, in the to paraphrase Mr. C.K. Prahlad, who is no longer with us, is next practices. You learn from that, but you implement according to context and listen to the people. You have to really make an effort to do that in India. We tend to think that people don't know anything. People know everything. Mm -hmm. not, you have to help them articulate and bring them into a design language. That has been my biggest challenge so far. Is to how do you convince... In India, every project has stakeholders, just like everywhere else in the world. The difference in India is if you do the wrong thing and do things without consulting the people, all of them will come with a stake in their hand with the pointy end pointing at you. <laughs> so you have to know how to... You have to really think from the viewpoint of the, I mean, that's one of the reasons we are successful as architects. Because we listen to the client very, very carefully. Sometimes they will be inarticulate. Sometimes they will say something which doesn't exactly address the issue. So you have to know that is the skill of a designer to be able to collect, collate, qualify and then propose a solution. Most of the Indian urban infrastructure, I'm not disparaging anybody here, is done by engineering professionals. Engineering professionals see a problem as a technological challenge which has to be solved to get you from point A to point B. 
build a flyover. I have to do get the sewage from point A to point B, build a sewage network. So they never look at it as a, I don't know why the humanities, hopefully with the new NEP that will change. And humanities are never taught in engineering schools. For instance, you are an engineer, I presume. Have you ever been taught sociology? Have you been taught behavioral anthropology? Have you been taught uh, what is social justice, inclusivity? It's hard enough to study the syllabus as it is, yeah. But architects, curiously, are taught these things in school. They have, there is because a, is architecture actually an art or a science or is it in between? Is it about people? Maybe it's a subject itself is dealing with people, no? A profession and a business and a social. Mm. They're also responsible. Every mm. project of ours, there is also a third client, right? The people. If the railing is not strong enough, somebody will push against it. It will collapse and they will die. So in every project, the safety of people for us also is paramount. We're going to use that space. This culture has not come into public infrastructure, which is why we see terrible gray infrastructure, which solves a certain problem. I'm not saying it doesn't, but it does not include people in the solution, which is what the feel I value. Yep. An urban designer like me can bring to a even a large infrastructure project. Most of the engineers seem to look at urban planners as a weird animal who are bringing in things that are detrimental to completing projects. You know, uh, oh, so these weird dreamy people are telling things that are not practical on the ground. To them, practicality is if I need to put a stone, I need to put a stone. It happens in engine, uh, the business itself, right? You take MBA grads. No, no, no. I have to sell this product by hook or crook. It doesn't matter what it causes to the environment. ESG is work. You know what I'm saying? So there are branding there are perspectives that people, they are also people, they have studied something and they want to do it to the best of their abilities, but they think everybody else who prevents them or brings in extra complexity is evil or sh or, or shouldn't be listened to. So there's this constant tussle. Why should urban planners tell civil engineers where the highways need to be built? Exactly. So, what do you think of uh, those conflicts? Illogical, no? The, the one thing that we can learn from the West is that they have gone through this entire painful process for 100 years. We can short, we can not do all the mistakes they made and leapfrog in less than 20 years. What is it? I mean, it's a no-brainer. Right? Clearly, the quality of their cities, the quality of the air in, in India, what happens is that we like these, what do you call it, motherhood type of statements. We want a great place to live. We want, nobody talks about the actual metrics a great place to live. What are the metrics? How do you create an identity for Bangalore, you are asking? Right? So if I say that yes. the, the air quality metric in Bangalore, the world standard is 10 for, uh, what do you call it, those 2.5 mm particles. 2.5. Right now, we mm. vary between 60 to 200, Bangalore. Delhi is 500. The, the maximum measurement allowed in that AQI index is 500. Delhi is at 800. Nobody knows how. Because the scale actually ends. After that, it's not supposed So, we just compare ourselves and give each other awards saying, among the worst, we are the best. So, if you take a, if the government, say, adopts a policy system, and curiously enough, this is rooted deeply in Indian culture. I don't know whether you know the Panchabhutas, right? The five Panchabhutas. What are those five panchatattvas? He says the world is composed of air, water, fire, energy, and space. That's all, right? 
So the air can have a certain metric quality. You can say any project, the Bangalore city, any project must go through these five lenses or five filters mm. before it becomes an actual project on the ground. The air quality cannot change. It has to remain within 10, 2.5, world standard. The water quality that everybody has to get accessibility to at least 100 liters of water per day for whatever they want to do. And it is recycled and you get out of this disposal mentality and get into a recycling mentality. Three, energy. Bangalore has to become autonomous mm. with energy sources. We have a lot of energy and we have a management problem. We don't have an energy problem. The reason the power goes off so many times a day in Bangalore still is because of a poor quality network. Not because there is no electricity. Correct? You can buy electricity from anywhere. So, if you, and if you look at Prithvi, the fundamental thing, which is land, which is the mother nature of the earth, what kind of, uh, we should make a system saying 50% of Bangalore should be green. If you make a filter like this and put an actual metric on each of the Pantabukas, the one metric we are very good at is what we are talking right now, Akasha. We have broadband and we can talk like this at 60 Mbps. And India probably has the best internet on the whole planet. So of the Panchabhutas, we fixed one. Now it's time to fix the other four, which is the hard part. And I'll add a sixth one, which is mobility. We have not understood that a combination of public and private transport, with the emphasis being on 80% public and 20% private, will completely change the economy of this ecosystem and will actually contribute to all the other Panchabhutas. The air will become cleaner. The water will become more available. The ground will become easier. More footpaths. Prithvi is also us. You know, and we will also change as a people. The answer is already embedded in our culture. All we have to do is, is use modern methods of metrication and say that no mm -hmm. project in the city, unless it passes these filters, can be implemented. Or if it breaks those filters, how much time will it take to come back to normal? To make this understandable to government, to bureaucracy, to politicians, and ultimately to the people, is a challenge that I don't think we will see in, solved in our generation. But it's our job to keep chipping away as much as possible. No, that's that's exactly what I think we should do. Is to not just give up saying it might not happen in our generation, but to keep looking at this and defining these parameters at least publicly, in a way that we can start popularizing the thoughts behind this. I want to come back to one small thing here: is that good quality infrastructure, the way we have seen it uh, in 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 other longitudinally uh, different countries, is cost money. It is not cheap. We are used to cheap infrastructure and we seem to think that that is everything that needs to be an improvement over it still needs to be costed at the same levels and anything more is a no, wasteful expenditure. Cost of maintenance of infrastructure mm. is inversely proportional to the capex spend on So if you spend less, you'll actually spend up over a 20-year life cycle. You'll actually spend lots more. To keep it, to bring it, to keep it in an acceptable condition. Instead, if you increase the capex extent in the beginning and put in durability as a factor when you create infrastructure, the infrastructure cost actually declines over time. It's, it's a, it's a, you don't need to, but the, but then it removes a significant component of the stuff of the elephant who is always in the room with us. There's no scope for annuity contracts. The system will resist that. In Tender Sewer, which is 50 kilometers mm. of Bangalore, 
See the expense on pothole fixing is zero. See the expense on uh, stormwater drain works, nothing. So it was spent, what we spent about four and a half crore or five crore a kilometer on that compared to what they were spending about one crore. And this, these guys was a four times spent. It's already 10 years now. And the maintenance cost is uh -huh. almost, so this is, the system has understood this and is actively resisting it. So they have now come up with tender sewer light. It only looks like tender <laughs> sewer, but below it is the same old jump. In India, we don't have an understanding of what is above the surface. Our maps are below grade, though they have the best technology in the world, satellite technology or whatever you want to call it. And we have absolutely no clue what is under the ground. We have no mapping of it. Every time I do a project, I use ground penetrating radar to find out where are the cables, where are the... No, you have to do... I mean, come on, you have to do this for the whole city. That's 13,500 kilometers of road. That's a lot of road. As I said, we know what to do. We just now need political will. We need bureaucratic acceptance and also the will of the people to demand that they want it like this. The moment that, that comes, then there will be a revolution. Like mm -hmm. instead of a sewage treatment plant, if I tell you that I'll give you a park mm -hmm. instead. You know, we saw a project in Israel where the guy had made an apartment mm -hmm. on the edge of a sewage treatment plant. And it was a double loaded apartment. One apartment was looking into the city onto another road. And the back apartment was looking into the sewage treatment plant. So they put this PTS system there. And the funny thing has happened. The real estate value of the apartments facing the plant treated sewage plant is double compared to the apartments facing the road. So that's what will happen if the system is implemented on a city-wide scale. Rajakalwe will become the preferred address, like the canals of Amsterdam. That brings me to one final point that I wanted to address. I mean, uh, we talked about identity of uh, cities, Indian cities, and Bengaluru is a good example of what it is. Might be, uh, what do you... This brand Bengaluru is going around now, right? Um, what are your thoughts on what is Bengaluru's identity and brand? What does this actually mean? Who is defining it? So you talked about people. Are people a part of defining brand Bengaluru? What people can't define something that is beyond, right? I mean, they look at day-to-day -day problems and they're coming back and saying, fix this and we are good enough. I don't care for your brand Bengaluru, really. Why do but you what is this whole... Why do you say that? I don't think so at all. In the micro, in the level that mm -hmm. I am, everybody has a fairly mm -hmm. strong opinion on what they want their environment to be. So you have to look at the brand as a set of intangibles and also a set of, mm -hmm. uh, cannot be only tangibles, you know, I want good road, great footpath kind of thing. So if you look at the mm -hmm. intangibles, what is Bangalore good at? It's a tolerant place. It's a reasonably safe city. You want all these nice. things. Nice. Right. You have to also look at the intangibles. You also, it's a reasonably green city in spite of what a lot mm. of they say is. Compared to other Indian cities, it's quite a green, green place. Beyond tolerant, it has an easy-going culture. Have you noticed that? It's a, you don't see road rage. You don't see people mm. living, desperately poor people living on footpaths. Even the uh, low-income areas and the subsumed villages of the city have a nice vibrancy and culture to them. It's not a terrible place. Three, there's mm. hardly any street crime. It's a fairly safe city in that sense. There are no gangs. There are no... I mean, there are, but it's not like Sao Paulo or something like that. You know, it's not Johannesburg or something. Mm, mm. Or similar mm. kind of cities in the global south. And so all okay. these are important factors to imagine. 
okay and it has from a environmental point of view i would say it has reasonable air quality and the one thing that we are all very proud of and we have nothing no influence on it but the great climate most of the year correct so how do you keep all these values alive and sustainable and then on the tangible side how do we focus on the panchatattvas the mobility the air quality if you define the intangibles in terms of metrics saying that why is it like this great climate must also mean great air quality great access to for people to resources must also mean access to water access to mobility you can co-link it and we can devise a bengaluru vision you know bangalore is turning 500 years old in 19, in 2037 it's less than 14 years away what will bangalore be on its 500th birthday so to that extent we also want to look at the culture of the city you know i'm our organization is also working with unboxing bangalore vision of prashant prakash one of our prominent citizens to create something called the bengaluru hubba so between 1st and 10th mm-hmm. december we will be the destination of the world in the in very short time we will we are going to create a huge property now which is now the bangalore tech summit ends at the end of november the bangalore lit fest is there between the 2nd and 3rd of december the bangalore design week is also in during that time and overarching above all this will be a bangalore hubba 65% of the city is now migrant in the last 15 years and have no connection to the this city at all and now to include the citizens of the city as well the older residents as well as the new migrants to create a sort of positive force in the city culture is the best tool and that's going to happen between so many things tangible things will come out of this brand bangalore idea of the government also supported a lot by the people who have benefited from the city the csr component will be very very high they will be involved all the yeah. which are major employers and so on here as also the all the resident welfare associations all the the joke in the rest of india is that bangalore has more civic activists per square foot than any kilometer any city in the world 2500 plus rws are there now they are they are forming into federations of rws now everybody has to be bigger gangs yeah but we have to give everybody a singular vision which will at least a 15 year vision 2037 is one target 2047 which is the 100th year of indian independence is the next target that's that's actually very nice to hear and i am looking forward to the bengaluru but you are a history buff as well right you're talking about 500 years of bengaluru as kepe gowda saw it but i've uh, spoken to a, the much older uh, people who do this inscription much older than that and there are and the city continually evolves what you told what you defined is con- maybe contemporarily what it is 65% didn't might have appeared in the last 2 uh, or 3 decades and before that must have been completely different but the bengaluru itself is changing from what uh, retirees uh, retirement heaven to garden city to tech city to innovation hub it's continuously evolving will brands stay that way what are you building through this brand is it only for tourism you want lots of people to come for a reason right it is what do the residents feel what do these apartment Nahi, what sorry what do the rws to, are looking at no no it's brand is not really to encourage more migration or to it is more to create a sense of pride and ownership of the city 
and its resources excellent the quality of life mm. it is not driven only by economic uh, factors see bangalore has eight mm. satellite towns around it when a person moves to bangalore they are voting with their feet they are not coming here for the climate mm-hmm. they are definitely not coming here for the traffic right the ease of traffic mobility they are coming here for an economic reason so if companies can be persuaded to and the government also has to put in its bit by building a maybe a circular suburban rail network with nodal trains to the eight cities around the city right and at a larger level also try to push development into the rest of karnataka's urban areas people and facilitate land and uh, also spaces for real estate development as well as company development in all these eight satellite towns around the city bangalore by itself has i think reached carrying capacity it's only about 800 square kilometers of urbanized area and i would say about 1200 square kilometers of bda area and about 2000 odd kilometers of peri urbanized area and 8000 square kilometers of the great bangalore urban area i think we have reached a time when satellite cities need to be created and i think that's imperative to distribute the bangalore has now become is going to become, become bigger than silicon valley right we have our turnover right now this year this year is about 80 billion dollars of economic output less than 5 years from now we will quadruple that just mark my words we will go to close to 300 billion dollars of output from the city every year to take that bangalore as it stands cannot take that and if the population will double it will go to 2 and a half crore from what it is now it's already crossed about 1.4 crore now it will go to 2 and a half crore that is 25 million people nothing to get scared of the tokyo area is 37 million people and works like a yeah they are handling it yeah and lagos yeah. is almost hit about 25 million they are not handling it but they are on the same latitude <laughs> so we we will understand how to do this if we go back to our own way of thinking the panchatatva model fix the metrics agree on the intangibles and see how to marry the two to create a vibrant city for the future excellent narish on that note i'd like to thank you for uh, joining the show and uh, helping us unpack uh, the learnings from the projects you're done and we are all looking forward to seeing how that uh, turns out the k100 and uh, be able to walk uh, along a waterway that we don't have yet this is a call out to everyone else to uh, like subscribe and share these videos and uh, see you all next week thank you